gentlemen. You guys can have a seat. I'm excited to announce our speaker today is Keith Wooden. Are you going to be down there or are you coming up here? I'm going to start down here. Okay, cool. He's going to start down there. So he is from (laughs) Ovid, right? Um, And uh, you guys have seen, maybe you've seen or heard of the show Wife Swap. Anybody familiar with that? (laughs) Kind of, sort of. Families swap wives, moms, and it's chaos for a week. Well, we're hoping not so chaotic. We're doing pastor swap today. So, so Tyson is speaking at Ovid. Keith is here speaking today. And I'm just excited. Um, he's awesome. He's great. He's got a, a great message for us today. So if you guys would help me welcome Keith. As, uh, he Thank you. Message today. Hey, Ben, if you'll do me a favor and grab those things that I put there for me and, and go ahead and bring them down here. That'd be great. Oh, it is good to be here. Actually, here's how this kind of evolved is um, Tyson spoke at a leadership conference over at Ovid a few years back, and we're having graduation Sunday over at Ovid. And I, I was looking across the graduates and thinking, you know what, they would like to hear from someone besides someone who has gray hair. Then I realized Tyson has gray hair. So, I mean, I sent him the wrong guy. I don't know about that one, you know, so... But no, I called him up and I said, hey, can we swap? Because I knew he would have a challenging message for them. And I was looking forward to that, that opportunity just for them to really speak to, for him to really speak to their hearts. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, so what I need is, uh, does anybody run in here? Is anybody a runner? Oh, yeah, come here, come here, come here, come here. Okay, no, stay back there. Stay back there. Um, <laughs> and stand up because I just need, I, I need... I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want people to be a, uh, there you go, there you go, okay. She's a runner, and I I just want you to recognize that um, you probably, as soon as she she stood up, you said, man, her her physique and Keith's are almost identical. Did you notice that? I mean, when you look at me, you probably see this sleek, fit running machine, That's hurtful. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to go back a long ways. When I was 28 years old, I, I did my first mini marathon, okay? And when I, when I say, you can see how old I am, okay? So I did my first mini marathon back then. And so here it was. And what's interesting about this is this was the first number I ever had, okay? 659. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to some of you, but today when you enter the mini marathon, you're likely to get a number like 26,000. Because when I first ran the first mini marathon, the, the numbers were in the 2000s. That's how few of us there were running at that point. And so I ran the mini marathon there. And um, I, I, you know, here's the deal is when you start running, you just naturally kind of fall into pace with some people that are your pace. And and I fell into pace with a few of the people. I don't like running with people. I don't want to have conversations when I'm running. I just want to go out there and get it done. And so I fell into pace with this, this lady named Edna, okay? And we started running with, I started running with Edna. Edna, I was from Carmel at the time, and Edna lived in um, Anderson, and she was part of what's called the Anderson Roadrunners, okay? Now, Edna was like 60 then, okay? I was 28 years old, and I'm falling into pace with Edna, and we had a 10-minute rocking chair pace. We're just 
going out there, getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. And I see some of you know Edna. I, this is so funny because Edna is an institution among runners, okay? So we're running, 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 running. Just as soon as you come off the track, you're at 10 miles, okay? And, and that's where you start to feel it. And you start to, you get a little bit tired and things are just, okay, can I make these last 3.1 miles? Can I do this? And we got to the 10-mile marker, and Edna turns to me and says, I think I'm going to pick up the pace, Keith. (laughs) Do you know what that feels like when Edna says she's going to pick up the pace? And I'm going... (laughs) (laughs) She does. She left me in the dirt. I finished. But I I, I have the medals to prove it. I I didn't want to be ostentatious and bring all of them, but I, I have a bunch of these... And, and so in 19, not 19, in 2012, I applied for um, the Lilly Endowment um, for, for pastors. And I'm going to throw out a number here. It's amazing. What they do is they give pastors a sabbatical, a minimum of three months, and you go out and you plan your sabbatical. My sabbatical included the first three weeks I spent living Amish. I really did. I spent the time on an Amish farm, working on the Amish farm, and it was a cattle farm, and so we got up at 4 a.m. We finished um, doing the last chores at about 9, and you fell into bed, and you did it over again, and they did that every day of the week. It was amazing, though, one of my favorite things, and mostly because my dad had always told me about how he worked animals and used horses, and I wanted to just follow in my dad's footsteps because he had just passed, and I wanted to work a, a, a team of horses. And that was just so awesome. I could tell you all kinds of stories. After that, then, we started on a tour, my wife and I, and we toured all through from Jordan to Israel to um, Turkey to Greece to Rome, following in the footsteps of Paul. One of the most amazing things that we could have done. But while in Greece, I had put that on, I put this on my on my bucket list for the, getting the sabbatical was that I wanted to do the Greece marathon, the Greek marathon in the same course that, that the original pathway was run from, from um, it was the marathon, from marathon to Sparta, Athens rather, marathon to Athens. Now that meant a lot of training. Now, I wasn't going to run it. All I wanted to do was walk it, okay? I just wanted to walk it, but you had to go at a certain pace even in walking it. You had to go at a, at a sub-14-minute pace for the 26.2 miles. Now, you can figure that out, but 14-minute miles back to back to back back like that can get grueling, okay? And, but I wanted to do this, and I wanted to do it bad. So I started training, and I started walking, and, and believe it or not, one of my pathways was from Pendleton to Lapel and back. That was just part of my training regiment was to walk over here and then walk back. Another one was to walk from Pendleton over to Middletown and back um, because there were great hills, especially going over towards Middletown. There were some great hills, and the Athens Marathon happens to be, or the, the original marathon happens to be the hilliest marathon in the world. Um, other than, you know, there's some Himalayan marathons that just jerks do, but I'm talking about a normal, normal marathon. And so, so I, you know, it, it, it's hilly, so I knew I needed to do some hill work and stuff like that. The only thing you have to do to complete that is stay ahead of the brown bus, 
okay? There's this great big brown bus that follows the runners along the pathway. And if you go sub 14 minutes, the bus pulls up beside you and you have to get on the brown bus. The brown bus of shame. Because nobody, when people get on the brown bus, they, they sit down in their seats. They will not even look out the window at the rest of us who are still on the course. They just, they're shameful just looking down. My only goal was stay ahead of the brown bus. You know, sometimes it got pretty close. It's coming up, it's coming up, especially in one section where, where the, 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 the warriors of Sparta were buried. There's a big circle around the memorial there, and I could see the brown bus just as I, in, just as I was leaving. I saw it enter the circle there, and I thought, oh, man. I got to pick it up, and I'm watching all my watches, and I'm walking just as fast as I can to get that done, and I am telling you, at the end, here's what was interesting is my church was following me, because, you know, when you do races today, they, they put a little chip in your tennis shoe, and they could track you, so my church is tracking live when I'm doing it, they are in the second service, and they wanted to announce where I was at and what it was happening, and they're tracking me live during the service. It was kind of fun until my thing went dead, okay? And at first, at first, they thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is horrible. He had to drop out, and he's done so much training, and then... Because they're live linked onto the marathon, you know, cover page, it says that a 55-year-old guy dropped dead at the finish line. And they thought for sure it had to be me. I'm here. Okay, so relax. <laughs> but just ahead of me, this guy between, there's a finish line, then you walk around to get your medal, and you're just so fatigued, and literally, he, he passed during that time frame. My wife thought the same thing. She thought, oh my gosh, my husband is, you know, between there and here, and I don't know where he's at, and she was all nervous and everything like that, but it was really a tragic situation, but it, I remember that, those training days, and it, it, as a runner, I'm going to go back to you, okay, as a runner, most of us do this. Most runners have, have pathways that they follow, that they're pretty religious about. I told you that I walked from Pendleton to LaPel, and Pe- LaPel I mean, from, from Pendleton to M- Middletown because I knew exactly how far the course was. I knew exactly what was happening along that way. I knew what hills were coming up. I wanted to be in that kind of mindset. But along the pathway, and inevitably every runner understands this and every fast walker understands this as well, there is the nemesis of all runners, and that is the dog. Okay? And just as soon as I come out of my addition, I go for about three miles there. And then on the right-hand side, there is this house that I pass as I'm going over to, towards Middletown. There's this house that I pass, and there is this huge maple tree. And around this huge maple tree, there is a log chain, not just a, a dog chain, a log chain. And on the other end of this log chain is the most massive beast of a dog I've ever seen. And every time I would walk past him, he would charge towards the end of that chain. He'd hit a rut that he had worn in the grass from barking at every and marauding every runner that ever went by there. He hit this rut. He would lunge up in the air and just, you know, like that. I'm going, oh, 
man, what an idiot dog. <laughs> so one day, I'm going past, and I see the dog, and I see the chain, and they're not near one another. The dog is loose. This disheveled hunk of chain is over here. The dog is laying down over there. And I decide I'm going to walk very lightly, trying not to alert him. But there was no chance. He caught my scent or heard me. I don't know which. But he starts the charge. And for one great brief moment, I am an Olympian. I can feel wind in my hair. It's never happened before. Whoa, what an exhilarating moment. And the dog's coming out to, and and he charges to the end of where the chain would be. He hits the rut, he rears up. And he still thinks he's chained. And I run past him, and at first I'm laughing at him. Thought, what an idiot dog. And then I get about a quarter mile down the road, and all of a sudden my laughter, and I don't even know why at the moment, turns into tears. And they're they're the kind of tears that are hot tears. You know, you can cry different kind of tears. And these hot tears start to stain my face, and I feel the emotion. And and he's no longer an idiot dog. He's so much like me. You see, I have some ruts in my life that I've lived into. So do you. Friday night, I went out with a friend that I don't know his full story. We've just kind of started to develop this friendship. We were at Thousand Degree Pizza over there, and you know we were having pizza, and he was explaining to me, and I kind of caught a, a glimpse of his family life growing up, and he has one brother that's at Johns Hopkins and is working on, on a study on advanced pancreatic cancer. His sister is out on the West Coast in California. She's working on her, her degrees in advanced studies. And, and, and he says to me, but I can remember the place and the date and the time where my dad sat me down in a restaurant and said, but you have to recognize you're not college material. Forty years later. Forty Years later, that conversation marks his life. And he has a rut. Never mind that he owns his own business, that, that some of the things that you're surrounded with in this building, are he has his fingerprints on because of what business he's in. Never mind that he's hugely successful. Never mind that he's an entrepreneur. His dad's words echo in his mind, but you're not college material. And there's this click of a class of a chain that holds him. My story's a little bit different, but I still have my own story. My story was I had been in ministry and I had served in in. Um, East Central Indiana for several t- years and went up to Chicago for a period of time and planted a church up in Chicago as well. And, and then I came back to the Pendleton area. And when I was in the Pendleton area, 
there was, the situation was that my wife came to me and she said she didn't want to be married anymore. And so I went through a divorce, and, and I'm not laying it at her feet. I want you to know, because divorce happens in a lot of different circumstances. And each one of us, if you don't believe each one of us needs to own our own responsibility in divorce, you know, I'm here to tell you everybody has to own their own responsibility. But I went through that divorce, and the night she told me, I went next door. And it was a board meeting night, and I'll never forget this. I resigned from my position from the church and left ministry. I never thought I'd ever be back in ministry. And I started tracing this path, wearing this rut. And that was 25 years ago. And there is not one day that goes by that I do not remember that I wear a scarlet D. That's my path. And not one day, I can literally say that, not one day has passed that I don't recognize that I wear that. And I started walking that line, wearing that path. A few years later, I was actually at Ovid Community Church when I resigned, and a few years later, they came back to me, and she, they said, you know what, we recognize who you are, we know where you've been, we know what you've done, we know everything about you. Will you come back and minister at the church? And I said, I can't. And they'd ask again a few months later. And about seven months after that, they came again and said, you know what? We still think you're the right person. So I returned to Ovid. I'm so glad because Ovid's a lot like the river. And by the way, two weeks ago, we prayed for you. We pray for your church often. You're part of our rotation. Uh, Ovid is a lot like the river in this respect is, is there's grace and grace abounds we have a phrase that says, no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, because of what Christ has done, you're welcome here. And that could just be the river, couldn't it? Because there's people from every walk of life, every history in life, and, and God has written your story. Can I just come back to that? God is writing and has written your story. No circumstance or situation or incident has written your story. But I need to talk to you I think all of us about your rut and your chain. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to go to a section of scripture that's found in Acts 7. If, if you're apt to look at that, that's fine. If you want to call it up on your phone, that's fine. Or if you just want me to, if you just want to listen to me read the paragraphs and the, the storyline there, that's fine too, okay? But I'm going to just walk you through. Where did I put my Bible? Oh my goodness, I'm senile too. <laughs> Acts chapter 7. And I'm throwing you off here intentionally, but Acts chapter 7 has this story about Moses. And all of you go, oh, I know that Moses isn't in the New Testament. Moses is in the Old Testament. But Stephen, while he was getting stoned, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just back up, slow your roll. He's actually getting hit by rocks, okay? This isn't an illicit drug. But while he is being stoned, he's talking about his history, the Israelites' history. And he starts talking about Moses. You may not know it, but Moses wore a chain and he walked a rut. Listen to it. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. I'll, I'll, I'm going to kind of highlight a few words for you. 
because I want you to remember this. He was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. Then he was placed outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him into her to, as her own son. Moses became a child of Pharaoh. That is, whoa, that just, and so it says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and listen to this, he was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he he went to his defense and, and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought... Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them from slavery, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, man, you are brothers. Why are you trying to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner. And he had two sons there. Did you hear it? Did you hear the chain? It goes around to the collar that's going to hold him there. He will live in that Midian desert for the next 40 years. 40 years. He wears a chain of slavery just as much as his friends back in in Egypt. The Israelites wore their chains of slavery. I wonder how many times, how many times... He walked the edge of sand that separated that Midian desert from a trip back to Israel. I wonder how many times he walked that until there was a a rut in the sand. Thinking, but but God, you called me to free them. You called me for a purpose. You called me for a reason. Your hand was upon me. You've directed all the affairs of my life. And here I am, miles away from Egypt, walking this edge of sand, wearing this rut. For your sake, I need you to identify your rut. For your sake, I need you to identify your chain just like my friend did, and we weren't talking about this message. He spontaneously gave that, but, but you know what? If I had just a penny for every person I've met that eventually in the conversation opens up their life and says, this happened to me as a kid, 15, 16, 17 years old, and I thought it disqualified me. Every man wants to know, every man has in his heart, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And then they look down upon 
the chains that bind them, and they just say no. Every woman's heart is, is echoed in the, the song that I keep hearing voices in my head that say, I'm not, what, what's the next word? I'm not good enough, I'm not enough. And for so many people, that good enough, that just knowing that I'm enough, and whether I'm enough as a mom or enough as a, 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 in my office or enough in my, as, a, as a wife or a husband, And the chain is there. Can I tell you, listen, Moses' chain was not even attached. It was in this disheveled, just heap. But he didn't know he was free. And so many people in this room today you are free 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 but when will you realize it when will you when will you grab a hold of it you know I, I don't have time to go through all of them, but, but you know the, the different places we wear chains. Some of you wear the chain of being a middle child, and, and man, that, my brother, my brother Tom, until um, my sister came along a long time later and ruined everything. Is this taped? Oh, my sister knows that. She was like, oops. You know, in a family tree, you know what that means? 14 years later, she comes along, and there are three of us boys, and then a girl. Tell me, she wasn't spoiled. <laughs> but my brother Tom wore the badge of middle child so bravely, and that was his rut. Moses didn't realize that he was free. Can I just take you back to his freeing moment? Can I take you back in the Old Testament to what happened? Because I think there's just some really basic lessons there. Now I go back to the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. And it says this. Now, remember, I, I've got mine marked, okay? Because I, so I'm going to flip back because there's a couple of phrases that I want you to remember. But uh, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he, had the flock to, he led the flock to the far side of the desert. Why? You can tell me all along that it's because that's where the grass was. I'm telling you that's where his path is. He's at the far side of the desert looking back towards Israel one more time. Because look at what it says. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. One last time he wants to hear God say something to him that would set him free and let him know he's free. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire 
from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I will go over and see what's going on here, this strange sight. Why this bush is not burned up. And when Moses saw that he had gone over to... And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to take a look, God called out from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, he says. And he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And I'm about to have a conversation with you, Moses. I have heard the cry of my people Israel. This is verse 9. Oh, some of you are actually looking at this. I apologize. This is Exodus 3 chapter, but it's verse 9 now. And he said, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now think about this. Pharaoh is his stepbrother. Sending them, I'm sending you to your brother. You were raised with him. You know the language. You know everything that is necessary for me to utilize you. And I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people into freedom. Now, you want to know how strong the chains are? It starts this way. But, but God... I am telling you that every one of our objections are filled with big butts. Did you get that? Okay, I'm just, just checking, you know, if you're okay. Thanks for sitting up front so I can, yeah, interact with you here. Yeah, the only reason why I didn't pick on him is because I thought he'd hurt me. Okay. And she said in the, the atrium out there, the, the, the narthex thing, she said she does kickboxing, so I know she can hurt me. I'm, I don't have fast reactions. She can't. <laughs> Every objection that we have is filled with this, but God. Run up against your chain. Run up against your rut. You'll use it. But God, if I go to Pharaoh... Who's going to go with me? And God says, I will. And he looks down at this rut. And that's not enough. I never lost track that God was with me. But sometimes, though this seems like blasphemy, Sometimes we feel it's not enough. I remember a seminary friend of mine came to chapel one time and he was telling us a story about just what happened um, a, a few, uh, just a few nights earlier. And actually it's a story that's kind of gone viral and a lot of pastors use it, but I got a chance to hear it firsthand from this guy. And he was telling a story about his daughter and his daughter, it was a big thunderstorm a couple nights before and his daughter was tucked into bed. She heard that first clap of thunder and Boom, she was in bed with them. And he said, no, 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 honey. Back to bed. And he tucks her in and, and says, it's okay. The storm's not going to hurt you. Another clap of thunder. She comes barreling in there. And she says, oh, no, no, come on. I want you to know 
it's okay. Mommy and daddy are just in the other room, and we're not afraid of storms. Yeah, but you have mom to sleep with. You know, <laughs> the little kid's already putting up the injection. Third clap of thunder, and he, he walks her back in there and gives her this, this platitude, and he says, honey, you don't need to be afraid. We want you to know that Jesus is here with you. And, and she says, yeah, but right now I need something with skin on it. <laughs> you ever been there? I'm okay with God, but right now I need something with skin on it to walk me through this. Who's going to go with me? God says, I will. And then he goes on. Moses said to God, suppose I go. Suppose I, suppose I do this. Suppose I cross this line. Suppose I go beyond the barrier. And I say that the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They're going to ask what your name is. Then what do I tell them? And God says, I am. I am not your past. I am not your present. I am not your future. I am in every moment. I am. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Israel, and Jacob has sent me to you. Now go. What happens if they don't believe me? Third objection. Third time he's argued with God. How many times did you argue with God? I told you how many times I argued with God, even though the church was approaching me. How many times I was having that conversation with God? Third time, Moses says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And like, what sign can you give me? And God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? What are you holding on to? Well, it's a staff. It's a, it's a shepherd's hook, a shepherd's rod. Just cast it down and it turns into serpents. Pick it up and it turns back into the rod. Use this as a sign. Oftentimes, the step over the ditch happens just when God says, what's in your hand? What have I given you? I've already provided for you. Did you? Do you remember? He knew the language it says. He knew all, he, this was his brother he's talking to. He had been educated. He is absolutely brilliant in all the ways of Egypt. There were so many things. What's in your hand? Lord, Fourth objection. I've never been really eloquent in my speech. Not in the past and not in the present. I tend sheep. And I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Do you remember what I read to you earlier? That's a direct contradiction to what the Bible says about him. He was a man educated, wise, and powerful in speech. Because so often 
we evaluate ourselves, and God is just exasperated at this point. He says, that's, oh, good, this clock said it was noon. (sighs) And you were going by this clock. I saw you, man. I saw you. He's going. It's only 11.36, folks, and I'm coming to the end, okay? Moses says, just get somebody else to do it. I'm comfortable with my chain. I'm comfortable with my rut. I'm comfortable with my life. Just send somebody else, God. God's anger burns against Moses. It's fine. I'm going to send somebody else with you. I'm going to send Aaron. You. You know, some people have said he had a speech impediment. Some people have come up with all kinds of reasons why he thought he wasn't eloquent. But the fact is, most of us feel like we're not up for the task. Isn't that right? We just don't think we're capable. And it doesn't have to be, most of the time it's not a reality. Because can I just tell you that if God were looking for someone who was capable and complete, he'd have to start over. Because there's not one of us that is capable or fully complete. He doesn't ask us to be that. He asks us to trust him that we're free. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he can step over, she can step over the line. You are a new creation, you are free, and today is your day. And so Jethro sent him back with a blessing. But there was one more thing. Moses says, you know, there are people there that want to kill me. God says, you don't know this, Moses, but they're all already dead. I have gone before you. I have prepared the way for you. And it's not that it was going to be without opposition. We know that it's going to be with great opposition at times. But finally it breaks through. You mean I'm free? That's just a snapshot of why I started crying when I passed that dog. For once in my life, I knew I was free. But Ben said it so well in the intro. Satan chooses to come and dog my days daily and remind me of my chains, doesn't he? He reminds me of the chains that I wore and sometimes I let him trip me up and I go back and I revisit the ruts until I start listening to the one who says, I am with you. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me?
I have to tell you that even recounting some of those stories and situations in my life make me feel like I'm wearing the chain again, guys. I'll be honest with you. Because I risked your disapproval. I risked your judgment. And sometimes your judgment echoes louder than Christ's call. And so I have to remind myself the one who Christ has set free is free indeed. The one that is set free by Christ is free indeed. Can you just repeat those two words with me? Free indeed. Just say it with me. Free indeed. Don't wear it. Don't take it out of this room. Don't let the clank of the chain follow you to your car. You are free. And it may mean that you need to stay in this room just a few extra moments. Or it may mean that you need to, to, to fight against the stream of people that, that go out the back and you need to just come forward. Not, not for anything in particular beyond this. You want to spend some time with God alone. But you, my friends, if you are in Christ, you are free. And if you've never experienced that freedom, it starts with a simple confession. It says that if we believe in Jesus Christ and ask for that forgiveness for, for the things that we have done wrong, he enters into our lives and he takes up residence there. And that's yours just for the asking here today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for setting us free. We pray in your name.